time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. people I think is good people. They are they have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Welcome back to the Cold War episode 69 Ray's favorite number. But have you actually <laughs> have you actually had one yet though, Ray? Uh yes, but only by myself. Not with Rachel, your sister-in-law. You haven't uh, <laughs> no. cracked crack that not yet. <laughs> no. Mm. Not yet. You should, you but should, that's my 2018 resolution. You should try Trump's trick. Like, just uh, get her husband in and just go, you know, is she any good really in bed? Like, you must have had better. Come on, surely. Just have the phone on. Yeah. Yeah. I'll try it. I'll get back to you. Yeah. Let me know how that goes. Um, All right. Now, (laughs) we can do it when I come over in a couple of weeks. We're just, we're we're gang up on him. Um, He's not listening to this show, is he? Let's hope not. Shit. God, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> I hope not. The next family reunion. Awkward. <laughs> uh, Trump. Trump Truman. Sorry, the <laughs> other one. The other T. So we're going to talk about Japan, as I said last time. We talked about uh, where, where they got up to with Germany and Poland at Potsdam. We want to talk about yeah. Japan. Now, Truman had given his final approval to the plan to invade Kyushu, which is the southernmost island of Japan, two weeks before leaving for Potsdam, he gave that order. But you can't talk about Japan unless you talk about Asia in general, which obviously means um, China. So obviously the big three had China on their mind. They had Asia on their mind, um, but in different ways. China had suffered roughly 20 million dead during its war with Japan. It had 90 million homeless And everybody knew that as soon as the war with Japan was over, there would be civil war in China between um, Mao Zedong's communist and uh, Chiang Kai-shek's nationalists. So the suffering of these people is not anywhere close to being over, and everybody knows it. Now, I thought this was really interesting. Uh, On the way to Potsdam, Truman's Truman's advisor, Joseph Davies, runs into a man who has the coolest name in the world, Wellington Koo. Wellington Ku was a very experienced diplomat, Chinese diplomat. He was the founding diplomat of the League of Nations, acting premier, interim president, and foreign minister of the Chinese government under Chiang Kai-shek. He was the first delegate of China to the United Nations. He'd been an ambassador to Great Britain and France. So this guy is seen a lot. He's been around for a while. So Davies and Ku start talking, and they pretty much say that they both acknowledge that Stalin and Mao, even though they're both communists, are not allies. Stalin's more of an industry-based proletariat kind of guy. Mao has a nation of peasants working
working for him. But they both know Stalin well enough that he is going to want stability in China after the war. He is going to need stability to his south, which means he's probably going to support Chiang Kai-shek, because uh, he's the only one of the group who can actually bring it. And Ku pretty much agrees, but he says, yes, but what is his price going to be? So Stalin um, has already told Hopkins that he wants Chiang Kai-shek to lead after the war. He's the best of the lot. Uh, in fact, Chiang Kai-shek ha- had been helped by Stalin from 1936 to 39, and he started up again helping them in 1941. And he even urged Mao to stop fighting against Chiang, and both of them should focus on the Japanese, the true enemy. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Uh, Russia actually, after all, had trained 90,000 Chinese officers. They sent them plane- planes, tanks, rifles and artillery. A lot of those 90,000 Chinese officers were dead by now, but the point is Russia put in their time. So again, Stalin is going to want stability because he's going to want to be able to negotiate with one person in China. It just makes it a lot easier. So he's going to want some concessions uh, from China for his help uh, and and the stability that he's going to help bring. He's going to want control of outer monarchy outer Mongolia, long-term leases for civilian uses of airfields, ports, and railways in Manchuria. And let's face it, if you control the airfields, ports, and railways of Manchuria, you pretty much control Manchuria, but that's the price he has to pay. In exchange, Russia is going to help with the coming war against Mao. And Harriman pretty much said, this is pretty harsh, but it is pretty consistent with the Yalta agreements, and the United States can live with it. The one thing that the United States is focused on is no one messes with the open-door policy, the free trade in China, because the American factories are burning red hot. They're ready to produce something other than weapons. They're going to need a lot of customers, and um, they're, going to, they're going to look to China and Europe to sell their goods in. So the U.S. needs Stalin's help to stabilize Asia. China needs Stalin to help defeat the Japanese troops and then later on Mao. So again, Stalin has the upper hand in Asia just like he did in Poland. Nothing has changed here. And that's that's the cards that everybody's dealing with, whereas pretty much Stalin has all the aces. And again, he has all the spies, so he already knows what everybody's thinking and what everybody's going to ask for, and he knows what he's going to give based on his needs and not because he cares about other countries. So getting Stalin into the Pacific War was... Truman's number one goal in Potsdam, like it was one of FDR's top two or three goals at Yalta. Now, the Japanese, of course, knew this was potentially coming, and they had been trying to negotiate a way to keep their neutrality pact in place with the Soviets. They had been offering Stalin pretty much everything he wanted. The, The Sakhalin Islands, Port Arthur, half of Manchuria just in exchange for staying out of the war and helping them keep the rest of their the territory that they'd, they'd, they'd conquered in Asia. Now, Russia, under Stalin, had done the right thing, had been informing the Allies about these offers right. and their rebuttals of them. Now, the Americans, of course, knew about the offers because they'd cracked the Japanese communication codes, so they knew what was going on. Stalin knew that the Americans knew because he had spies who told him that the Americans had broken the Japanese communication codes. So he was like, well, I better tell them because they know. And they were like, yeah, but is he telling us because he knows we know or is he telling us because right. well, they didn't know he knew because they didn't know he had spies. Deep game. It was fucking deep. Deep, deep man. Yeah. Deep, deep, deep. But the Americans yeah. didn't trust the Soviets and thought he might still cut a deal 
with the Japanese, like he didn't trust uh, Churchill not to cut a deal with Hitler before the war was over. The Americans didn't trust Stalin not to cut a deal with the Japanese. Now, of course, they needn't have worried because Stalin wanted Russia involved in the war as much as Truman wanted him involved in it. Uh, in, back in June of 1945, before he even left for Potsdam, Stalin had told his commanders to begin preparations for a war with Japan in the greatest secrecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were given their orders personally and orally. That's how I like to give right. my orders. Me, you. I just uh, don't don't write me an email. Just give it to me. I orally. take it better that way. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. After you've yeah. given it to me yeah. orally, then you can tell me what my orders are. That's that's always. I'll, I'll forget, and then maybe write it down because I'll forget. I'll be asleep. So yeah. I'm yeah. Not... <laughs> <laughs> no, but we were talking earlier on a couple episodes back about uh, Truman was an avid poker player, and that mentality. I, it serves him well here. So like you were saying, um, the United States' greatest fear was that Japan might want to try to surrender to Russia, and they would work something out where uh, Japan gets to keep some of the territory in China that it's taken, but it's going to give to Russia what it wants, the Sakhalin, the Kira Islands, the Port Darien and Port Arthur, that kind of stuff. So, so Truman's got that to worry about. And so Stimson is coming up with the idea, well, maybe we could ask, um, uh, what if the Russians ask for Korea and some other places? But Truman is like, look, if they try to take any, if they say they want anything more than what they lost in the 1904-1905 Russo-Japanese War, where the Tsar got his ass kicked twice, his Navy did, uh, it's, it's pretty much a bluff. That's just asking for too much, knowing that he can pull back and compromise and get what he really what he really wants. And it turns out that he was right. His instincts about Stalin in this instance were right. And I just think those years of playing poker, he, he could read Stalin well enough to know he's going to want some things, but he's not going to go after everything because, because that's not realistic. Why do you think, then, Stalin didn't accept the overtures from Japan? Um, well, because one, you, could, you know, like you say, they've got the uh, they've got the treaty between them, which has served Russia so well. When um, when Russia and Japan got into it back in 1939, the Battle of Nomaham or the Battle of Kalinko, uh, where Russia basically kicked the shit out of the Japanese army a couple of times over the summer, and they come up with this treaty. That treaty that they both honored allowed Stalin to focus solely on defeating Hitler. So it certainly served him well. But Japan is a beaten nation. Germany has been beaten down. Poland has been swallowed up. Stalin's main concern is getting along with the other superpower, which is the United States. If they try to work out a deal with Japan and cut the United States out, there's probably not going to be a war, but there's going to be a lot of political tension, a lot of other tension, um, maybe even some economic pressures, that kind of stuff. Stalin does not benefit in any way by abusing the friendship or relationship with the United States for the sake of Japan. It's not worth it. But riddle me this, Batman. So you've got a situation where you can go to war. There's like how many Japanese army in China? There's like 1.8 million. million. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go to war with nearly 2 million guys in China, lose a million of yours, another fucking million. You've already lost 20 million people. You go lose another million. Or you can get everything you came for without having to do that. 
Now, you say he doesn't want tension with the West, but he's already got tension with the West over Poland. They're already pissy over Poland. He's like, fuck you. I've got it. It's mine. You can't have it. He didn't really, I don't think he really cared. I mean, he did, uh, obviously, to a certain point, but the, I don't know. Why Why not just take what Japan is offering and avoid going to war? No, because... Because one, by the time of Potsdam, which we said in the last episode, the Americans, even though they didn't love it, had become very practical, pragmatic people, and they accepted the fate of Poland. The reason Potsdam went down as a political success was that because Poland was sacrificed. So Poland is a non is a non-issue at this point. And those 1.8 million Japanese troops, they're scattered in a lot of different places all over China. When Russia goes in, they're pretty much going to focus on uh, Manchuria, Port Arthur, that kind of stuff. So they're only going to have to take on a percentage of those Japanese troops. But again, getting stuff from Japan and pissing off the Americans and the British and the French, obviously, uh, who also have interests in Asia. I don't know. It just doesn't seem worth it. So, yes, their relationship is not fantastic, but it's still pretty decent. It's based on reality. And even at this point, Truman is treating Stalin like an ally, even though he's difficult at sometimes, but he's treating him like an ally, trying to bring him in to, to, to act like an ally. And again, the upside um, for sticking with the United States is, has the potential for that is so greater than pissing the Americans off. And as, as we all are about to find out, Stalin knows that the United States is very close to the atomic bomb. Well, I think that's more like it. I mean, keeping Americans happy didn't really work out for them. That was, it, was, it wasn't like they lived happily ever after, the Soviets and the Americans. Um, yeah, look, I think a couple of things. I mean, he, he knew what was going on with the bomb. Whether or not mm-hmm. he knew they were going to use it on Japan or not, or, or going to threaten to use it on him or not, we don't know. But right. there's also, like there was no love lost between Stalin and Poland, there was no love lost between him and the Japanese either. Um, right. So maybe he wanted to see Japan destroyed, like he wanted to see Germany destroyed sure. and he wanted to see Poland uh, well, you know, under his thumb anyway. You know, uh, maybe... Sorry, did I just catch you yawning there? Are you yawning? No, I rubbed something against something. You don't want to know the details. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to know. I think uh, just maybe uh, Stalin had the same view of uh, Conan. Conan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you? They hear a lamentation of the women. Ah, Fucking A. Ah. So just to hear it in a German accent, it's very scary. Go ahead. Yes. (laughs) Austrian, technically. Um, Yeah. If I ever meet Schwarzenegger, the first question will be, you know, give me a cigar, motherfucker. The second will be, uh, can you give me the Conan line? Just give me the Conan line. I want to hear the Conan line. Yeah, please. Um, I am going to California in a couple of weeks. Might uh, look him up. Might bump into him, yeah. Might look yeah. him up. Arnold. See if Arnold wants to have a stogie with me when I'm in town. Um, by the way, I'm going to give a shout-out uh, to uh, Victor Santochi, or Santoki, mm-hmm. I should ask him how you pronounce his name. Victor, Victor, 
attorney in LA is putting me up in his guest house while I'm there. Very generous. And Mark Saselski. Mark. Mark Saselski. Don't know. I've got to forget how to pronounce his name. Mark. Studio. Can I just call you Mark Studio? Mark's going to pick me up at 7 o'clock in the morning at LAX and take me to breakfast. How about that? Nice. How about yeah. that? Maybe Tom Burns too. Tom Burns uh, might be coming for breakfast as well. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, there's another attorney, Mark Saselski, Sasudio. So very, very thank you. Public thank you to those guys. Uh, now, you can't, well, now you can't back out, either of you, because I've you know, publicly humiliated. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so... Uh, where, well, I also shout out to Mike Schneider. I don't think Mike listens to this show. He listens to a, well, he used to listen to a Caesar show. I don't know. He says he's too busy. But Mike's organised me a cheap hotel room in New York too. So the fans, got to love the fans all coming together yeah. To, yeah. To, to, to help a cam out. Um, <laughs> where was I? Oh, yes, Japan. Right. So at Potsdam, Truman goes, uh, well, I'd like to bring up the issue of uh, Japan. Stalin said, we're in. <laughs> and Truman was like, oh, oh, okay. All right. Gotcha. Stalin said yeah. that the Russians would invade Manchuria no later than the middle of August. Now, Damn. take note of that. The middle right. of August, because that date is important. Now, Truman was as happy as a capitalist pig in shit over this. Uh, this was what he came to Potsdam for, <laughs> thought there might be a little bit of a difficulty yeah. in getting, because he and Molotov had had a bitch-slapping match, and he and Stalin right. had, you know, bitch, you know, been... Yeah. Awkward. Yeah, and he, didn't, he thought Stalin might negotiate more. Stalin was like, yeah, we're in. In for a penny, in for a pound. That's what I say. He goes, yeah, however, I will, and this is this is something you're going to want to grant to me, I will need half of the German merchant fleet to move the men and equipment when we start invading the home islands proper. Truman, like you said, was just as giddy as it could possibly be. He goes, tell you what, once you declare war, I will get you those ships post haste. Um, and like he, he wrote to his wife, some things we won't and can't agree on, but I already have. What I came for. Truman's happy. Yeah. Reach around and Stalin getting involved in Japan. Now, how to end the war with Japan and, and what it was going to take is going to be a, yeah. a big issue for them to resolve and for us to talk about. Now, the Allies had previously, uh, back at Yalta, insisted on unconditional surrender for Germany. Mm-hmm. Right. They had also been talking about unconditional surrender for Japan. Right. But this is a tricky issue when it comes to Japan. And over the next couple of episodes, I want to spend quite a bit of time talking about the terminology of unconditional surrender. Okay. Now, for one thing, uh, invading Japan is a little bit more difficult than invading Germany. Uh, it's, a, it's a bunch of islands. Uh, a little, There's a big water thing around it. <laughs> a lot of water. Yeah. There's a lot of water. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit trickier to get in right. than it is yeah. to get into a landlocked country like Germany. Now, if, the, if, if, if an invasion was required, 
the Americans were going to do that. Uh, Soviets were going to take the, the Manchuria side of it, obviously. Um, and th- they expected that a lot of both Americans and Japanese would die in the process of, of yeah. taking Japan. But then you've also got the issue of the emperor and what mm. to do about the emperor. And again, I'm going to talk about that in a lot more detail later. But this is a big deal, the way that the right. Japanese viewed the emperor at the time. He wasn't just a political leader. He was a god incarnate. And that, that, that's, that's a tricky subject. If, if you're going to dethrone a god, mm-hmm. you know, you better come. Pack it. If you want to take my, if you want to take my god from me, that's right. that's that's it's a little yeah. bit of uh, yeah. So yeah. and just to make mm. just to make it a little more complicated, from what I read, they're not talking about maybe taking um, this emperor Hirohito off and putting someone else on. They're talking about, as far as the Americans are concerned, getting rid of the institution. So again, they know that the average Japanese person on the street will fight to the death for this emperor. This could get ugly. They better come up with something clever. Yeah. Now, Secretary of War Henry Stimson and others argued that in their declaration to the Japanese, they should be explicitly clear that the Japanese Mm -hmm. would be able to keep the emperor, that no harm would come to the emperor if if they surrender. Yeah, if it ends the war, fuck it. Yeah, And, and other U.S. military officials agreed... Uh, there was also the point that only the emperor could sign or at least endorse a Japanese surrender that the Japanese people would expect. Removing him by force would create anarchy uh, in the islands. It would make it untenable for an occupying right. force in that situation. Uh, the new British Foreign Minister, Ernie Bevan, E, e to the B, uh, Bevo, Bevo, I'm going to call him from now on, he talked about World War One, saying that it might have been better for all of us not to have destroyed the institution of the Kaiser after the last yeah. war. We might not yeah. have had this war if we hadn't done so. so and again, yeah, Versailles is hanging over these guys. They are thinking of everything in, in the terms of Versailles. Yeah, well, it's only a couple of years ago, a couple of decades, but, yeah. you know, it's like yesterday for them. Oh, we fucked up. If we exactly. left the Kaiser in Germany... We probably yeah. wouldn't have had Hitler. So let's... Uh... Now, yeah. now, for the Americans, the pissed off, hate Japanese, call them every name of the book you can think of. When this argument comes up, some of them, of the U.S. personnel team are thinking, you know what? Fuck them. Pearl Harbor, the Bataan Death March, Hong Kong, Singapore, you know, everything. So they pretty much have to accept unconditional surrender, and they better fucking like it. Even uh, former Secretary of State Cordell Hall, who even though he's retired, still very important, still very influential, still very popular, he said no to them keeping their emperor. It was the equivalent of appeasement. And he used that particular word on purpose because it reminded everybody of Chamberlain, the Munich Agreement, peace in our time, Hitler screwing him over and embarrassing uh, the British government. So Cordell Hall says no. No, they have to accept whatever we give give them because they started this. Mm, yes. Cordell Hull. Another cool name. 
Of course, Cordell Hull uh, was the guy who, in 1939, told Roosevelt to uh, turn back the SS St. Louis uh, German ocean liner, which had 936 Jews seeking asylum from Germany. He said, no, fuck it, send them back to Germany. What's the worst that could happen? God. Slightly anti-Semitic. Yes, yes, yes. He's not, and he's not the only one. We're going to get to some big, big names that didn't give a crap about the Jews, but that's for later. Yeah, yeah. So the Americans were like, "Fuck the Japanese." Um, and it wasn't just Cordell Hull; it was James Burns, importantly, mm-hmm. uh, now Secretary of State under Truman. Um, they wanted to completely destroy the Japanese. And basically take it over, essentially, was their plan. They wanted full American occupation of Japan after the war. They were willing to risk further casualties if they needed to accomplish that. And uh, they were a minority, I want to say, here. By the time of Potsdam, the majority of Truman's senior advisors were trying to talk him out of this idea of unconditional surrender. Uh, So was the media. There was a New York Times editorial on May 11th that called unconditional surrender a senseless policy that would cause the Mm. Japanese people to fight harder and cost lives unnecessarily. Now, I've had this conversation with Americans over the years, and, um, you know, the general view of most Americans I've talked to is, fuck the Japanese, that's how wars work, motherfucker, unconditional surrender. But again, yeah. you have to understand the way they viewed their emperor. It's very difficult, I think, for most of us in modern times to grasp the idea of truly believing that this guy is God incarnate. I mean, I, the, the closest analogy I can come to is the way I know our audience thinks of me. Um, <laughs> God incarnate walking amongst you... If they, if somebody threatened me, you know, uh, people would yeah. go bananas. B a n a n a s. They would go bananas. B a n a. So, <clears throat> yeah. Um, they, they were starting to talk about now Truman's own briefing book that he took with him to Potsdam, argued <laughs> for stripping the emperor of his powers, but not abolishing the institution, not removing the emperor from Japan or placing him on trial for war crimes. Yeah, get him to help you to to whatever degree he can, get him to use his power to help you. Well, the point, I think, was that the Japanese people, according to the guys who wrote Truman's briefing book, would never accept abolition of the institution of the emperor, Mm. particularly by a foreign power. Right. Right. As you say, better to get him to help you in the transition from war to peace. But, you know, uh, for whatever reason, we're going to see this wasn't made clear in the statement, in the declaration to Japan. Stalin also favoured unconditional surrender with some flexibility. He told Hopkins (laughs) back in May when they met in Moscow, an unconditional surrender offered the way to destroy Japanese military might and the forces of Japan once and for all. However, he also recognised that if we stick to unconditional surrender, the Japs will not give up and we will have to destroy them as we destroyed Germany. 
I, could you tell me what unconditional surrender with flexibility is? <laughs> well, you have to surrender, but... Right, uh, but then we can talk. Look, it's like this, right? Okay. It's the, it's the, it's the Berea form of rape. Listen, I am going to rape you, but... No, wait, listen, listen, wait, wait. Hear me out. Yes, it's going to be non-consensual, and yes, it's going to be painful. I'm not going to use. I like it that way. I'm not going to use lube. And there <laughs> might be a gun held at your temple. It's going to be terrifying, a terrifying ordeal. But hear me out. Gets I, me off. I will <laughs> that. So you feel like you've done a good thing. But I'll give you a bouquet of flowers when you leave. So Aww. listen, and they're like they're not expensive flowers. No, true. Yeah. More no. weeds. You can call them weeds, Wild. but. Wild. <laughs> That's so. I want you to unconditionally surrender to my raping right. of you, but right. you will get flowers afterwards. So uh, there's that. Yeah. Now, yeah, because I was just going to say because even the uh, State Department team said, "Look, say whatever you got to say to get in," and, and no pun intended, uh, and then we'll do whatever we want. But yeah, you got to get on the island without losing, you know, twenty to forty percent of your invasion force. So again, let's let's say what we got to say to get in, and then we can then we can do this. But again, um, I, I just thought it was interesting that because they weren't sure what to do, the State Department wanted um, Truman to use Potsdam to figure out exactly what this definition of unconditional surrender was going to be coming from the United States and, the, you know, and the other two powers. But all of that was kind of moot because... Boom! On, the, on July 18, at 7.30am, Truman received a coded message marked Top Secret Urgent Ooh. that said that Roosevelt's $2 billion gamble <laughs> had paid off. Christ. The telegram read, Operated this morning. Diagnosis not yet complete, but results seem satisfactory and already exceed expectations. Dr. Groves, pleased. Mm. Next day, he got another message that said, Dr. Groves has just returned most enthusiastic and confident that the little boy is as husky as his big brother. The light in his eyes, discernible from here to high hold, and I could hear his screams from here to my farm. Yeah, I'd scream too if I spent $2 billion and everything worked out well. I would be quite tickled pink. Now, Dr. Groves in this message is, of course, Lieutenant General Leslie Groves, the head of the Manhattan Project. His real name was Paul Newman from the movie The Fat Man and the Little Boy. Check it out. It's really awesome. All right. Now, um, yeah, the, the, that was – so Dr. Groves was uh, – Leslie Groves, the uh, operation was the first Trinity test of the bomb. Uh, little Boy and Big Brother, of course. Uh, little Boy, the name of the bomb that went off um, – blah, 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 blah. Oh, and uh, the light <laughs> – you can't blah, blah, blah the atomic bomb, motherfucker. The light in his eyes, discernible from here to high hold, uh, was code that said the blast could be seen 250 miles away from Alamogordo. 
where it happened. Damn. Now this is this happened when Churchill was still PM of the UK. Uh, Churchill apparently reacted to the news as if uh, the, wood. the gods had descended from on high with giving wood <laughs> with a gift that would solve all of Britain's strategic problems. He, according to one diplomat, he walked around Potsdam that day like a little boy who had something hidden under his coat. <laughs> Maybe it was his wood. It was his wood. It was like, I got a little stiffy. I, you can't see yeah. it because my belly hangs over it, but, uh, oh, it's there. It's there. Trust me. It's, it's there. there. I, only Churchill, a military leader or whatever, would think this really big-ass bomb suddenly wipes out all of our problems. And, of course, I, I think you explained on a different show, but please feel free to do it here, how how he had to be put down by Brooke. Just because you got this bomb, this is not something you can throw around willy-nilly. This is one of those things where, you know, maybe you can use it once or whatever, but it's not like, I mean, pretty soon everybody's going to have one. You can't just fucking use this thing like it's a hand grenade. Yeah, Churchill didn't seem to understand that, at least at this juncture. Right. Um, yeah. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, okay. Now, you know, Truman obviously immediately saw it as a way to get an unconditional surrender from the Japanese without having to invade the islands, which right. everyone anticipated might cost hundreds of thousands of American and Japanese lives. It mm -hmm. also meant they could stop their air raids over Japanese cities, which had already killed hundreds of yes. thousands of Japanese civilians, most of them in the firestorms caused by right. the incendiary bombs the US Air Force were using, as they'd used in Germany earlier, which we talked about, the bunker busters and stuff like that. They were mm -hmm. using them in Japan now. Shit. Um, and, but I think there was a sense of vengeance here as part of this. The Walter Brown, the American journalist I mentioned in an earlier, mm -hmm. um, overheard Churchill tell Truman that the United States should use the weapon without prior warning because the Japanese, quote, did not give any warning when they bombed Pearl Harbor and killed and mangled your boys. Yeah. Yeah. So here we have Churchill putting the idea into Truman's mind, if it didn't already exist, that they should use it without warning the Japanese. Because, of course, what they could have done is said, uh, hello, testing, <laughs> testing, is this working? Oh, hi, hi, Japan. Hi, hi, this is, uh, this is America. Um, uh, look over here a second. Look, just look, yeah. look over here. Oh, did you see that? Yeah, there's a bomb. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. a big bomb, really fucking big bomb. Just dropped, just dropped, boom, boom. just dropped in the desert again. Uh, by the way, oh, here's footage. Here's footage that we took at Alamo. You didn't even need to waste another bomb because they only had two, yeah. three, four, something. Here's here's a here's footage. Here's one we made earlier at Alamo Alamogordo. Right. Uh, now listen, we could drop these on your cities and kill hundreds mm -hmm. of thousands of your people. We'd right. rather not do that. So if you'd be good enough just to sign this here uh, surrender form, 
that we've mm-hmm. uh, sent, by the way, which very explicitly explains nothing's going to happen to your emperor, so you don't need to worry about that. Uh, that'd right. be that'd be great. If you could just do that, that'd be fine. We don't have to kill you. Churchill's right. like, fuck that. Just drop it on the motherfuckers. <laughs> no. Yeah, that was his... That was his attitude. Well, the British were the ones who back, um, I can't remember the year, refused, I think it was after World War One. refused to sign a non-equality treaty with uh, Japanese, with the Japan, which really pissed them off. So I'm thinking this little pink British bulldog is not exactly seeing them as an equal to himself well, as far as being a human being. I, don't, I mean, I don't know, but that, that might be even more harsh than I'd go to, but he was just prepared to kill civilians. In the name of war. Yeah. We've seen that with him in Tens of thousands, Germany. Of yeah, yeah, he wanted to gas people back in Russia when they were fighting the Russians in Russia. Ah, oh, fucking gas them. Who gives a shit? Gas the, gas the Indians, gas the yeah. Russians, bomb the German civilians. Now, a week after getting these messages uh, about the first test, the, the, the magnitude of it all seems to have finally landed on Truman. On July yeah. 25th, uh, when did he get the first notice? July 18th. So, yeah, a week later, he wrote right. in his diary, we have discovered the most terrible bomb in the history of the world. It may be the fire destruction prophesied in the Euphrates Valley era after Noah and his fabulous ark. It is definitely a good thing for the world that Hitler's crowd or Stalin's did not discover this atomic bomb. It seems to mm-hmm. be the most terrible thing ever discovered but it can be made the most useful. Well, first of all, if, if Noah did have an ark, yeah, I bet it would be pretty fabulous. It would have to be. But yeah, that very last sentence about, yeah, there's, there's this horrible thing, probably the most horrible thing in the world, but maybe some good can come of it is the equivalent of what he's saying, which pretty much tells you how he's leaning right there. But... It's important to be really clear here. Defeating Japan wasn't the only thing the Allies thought the bomb could do for them. Some of them thought, even at this stage, that it would give them leverage against the Soviet Union, their ally. Right. Well, ally of convenience. All allies are allies of convenience, Ray. That's true. Th- these guys are barely, 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 barely tied together. Um, but I see your point. After a meeting with Churchill on July 23rd, five days after the they got notification of the test, Alan Brook, Field Marshal Alan Brook, wrote that he felt completely shattered by the PM's outlook that the atomic bomb gave the West new leverage over Russia. Wait, just because, I I don't want to steal your thunder, but just because Churchill says something like, uh, now we can say to the Russians, if you insist on doing this or that, we can just blot out Moscow, then Stalingrad, then Kiev, then Kubishev, then Kharkov, Sevastopol. I mean, he's basically talking about wiping out the major cities of Russia like it's no big deal. Yeah. Churchill was saying in meetings, hey, we'll just bomb bomb fucking Russia out of existence now. Uh, and he was Damn. excited about the fact that he could yeah. do that. Um, yeah. Brooke wrote, I tried to curb his over-optimism. I was trying to dispel his dreams, and as usual, he did not like it. 
but I shudder to feel that he is allowing the half-baked results of one experiment to warp the whole of his diplomatic perspective. Yeah, good point. Now, others weren't so sure that the bomb was going to be a good thing. Uh, Apart from Brooke, who said that he knew from the moment he heard about it that it would change the nature of military strategy forever and Mm -hmm. that, as you said earlier, you couldn't use atomic weapons in the same manner that you use conventional weapons. Inevitably, the Russians would build their own nuclear weapons, maybe other countries would have it, then then what are you going to do? Yeah, he saw more quickly, I think, than most other people did at this stage. That after World War Two was ended, when it was over, atomic weapons could only serve as weapons of deterrence. They couldn't actually be used without cataclysmic yeah. results. He wasn't alone in this. Henry Stimson, Secretary of War of the United States, also saw the same problem. If the Allies used the bomb as Churchill wanted them to on the Soviet Union, they would be committing mass murder on an unprecedented scale. Stimson told Truman that he didn't want to see the United States outdoing Hitler in atrocities. Right. Jeez. But Atlee agreed with the use of the bomb. I mean, because Japanese forces were spread out all over Asia, only Tokyo could have the the force or the ability to to recall them or to get them to surrender. So again, it's it's damned if you do and damned if you don't. But if you're trying to get these 1.8 million troops who are scattered all over China to not not fight anymore and take out any more allied lives, you could argue this has the best chance of doing it. Well, possibly. And some did and some didn't. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Admiral Lai, uh, Warren, Lai. Lai. How do you pronounce it? Lai He. Lai He. Lai. There's a Y on the end. Lai Lai. Lai He. Fucking Australia. It's Lai He. Lai He. 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 Admiral Leahy down, <laughs> Leahy down on a soft bearskin rug in front of a smoky fireplace. Oh, yeah. Um, he worried that once the United States had uh, atomic weapons, they would adopt an ethical standard common to the barbarians of the Dark Ages. <laughs> This is Admiral Leahy, man, yeah. uh, who yeah. already was worried about that. Um, General Ismahi, is that how you pronounce it? Because <laughs> it's got a Y on the end too, motherfucker. Ismay, the uh, Indian-born <laughs> British uh, <laughs> army officer, he said he always had a sneaking hope that the scientists would be unable to find a key to this particular Chamber of Horrors. Now, at this point, Truman apparently didn't see the bomb as something to threaten the Soviets with. Uh, Avril Harriman, at least, said, this wasn't the president's mood at all. The mood was to treat Stalin as an ally, a difficult ally, admittedly, in the hope that he would behave like one. But as we'll see, the American position on that changed rather quickly. But you can also say that Truman might have thought that this... 
if I can end the war quickly, because Stalin had already brought up, I think it was Hop with with Hopkins um, before Potsdam that uh, maybe Russian troops could be used as a part of the occupation force. But if they can drop the bomb or bombs, end the war quickly, not only can they can hopefully stop Russia from taking over parts of Manchuria and the other islands, but maybe they can stop them from getting to Port Darien and certainly not to have Russian troops on the the four main home islands, because we all know, and America has certainly planned that they're going to occupy them after the war. You don't want the Russians there, because once you get a Russian in, it's like a tick, very hard to get them out. This could be the cure-all for all those concerns. But Russia had never said it wanted to occupy the home islands. That was not part of the deal. They wanted Sakhalin yep. and Port Arthur and that kind of stuff. That was their deal. Not, we're going to occupy right, no. the home islands. No, you're no. Well, you're you're mostly right, but there was um, a conversation between Stalin and I'm pretty sure it was Hopkins that where Stalin left the question open when uh, when Truman asked him to go speak to uh, to Stalin after FDR's death. Uh, there was Stalin purposefully left the question open about using troops to help with the occupation of some of the home islands. So again, whether it was real, I think it was just Stalin giving himself room to maneuver. Again, the, I think the Americans took it more seriously than they should have and but again it's another thing that you, you could possibly stop with the with the dropping of the bomb but they were asking him to get involved he was just saying listen if you want me to add some throw some troops yeah I'll spare a million here a million there yeah. you want me to throw some troops at the invasion yeah no problems man you got it you got it you ask for it you get it i'm that yeah. i'm 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 you are <laughs> I'm, I'm, you. <laughs> I'm your wing partner Wingman. They call me Stalin Getz. You ask. <laughs> you ask Stalin Getz. What does that well, They they wanted their help just so they wouldn't have to lose so many American lives. They're not exactly, you know, loving it. So because the the uh, the military had already told Truman, just like with Eastern Europe and Poland, look, once they get in, you're not going to get them out. So just be prepared to deal with whatever the realities on the situation on the ground is. If we can get them out, if we if we can use the bomb and they don't get in in the first place, it's all to the good. We'll use them if we have to, but we'd rather not. Now, of course, the, the issue then came up at Potsdam, how they would break the news of the existence of the bomb to Stalin. We touched on this a little bit when we had Michael Nyberg on the show. Now, Truman and Churchill were both worried that if Stalin really grasped the full importance of what they had their hands on, he might order his forces to push faster into Manchuria so he could control as much of it as, as possible before Japan surrendered, when it would obviously become diplomatically difficult to be, um, you know capturing land um they also worried about how they would respond as you said before if the japanese chose to surrender to the soviet union rather Mm. than to the united states or to to great britain but so they were worried about how to break the news to stalin now of course as as we know they didn't have to worry about that because (laughs) stalin had known about the manhattan project long before even truman Knew about it. He knew yeah. about it three years before Truman knew about Damn. it. Damn. Thanks to Beria. Um, Beria he. Is that how you want me to pronounce it? Beria Sure. Sure. Dick. His secret police chief, Lavrenti Beria he. Um, this is from the guy who called, you know, George Keenan, Ken and Thompson. 
<laughs> George Kenan, Keenan Thompson, the other way around. Go look up George on YouTube, Kenan, it's way. Keenan. Um, you know what? I don't the... need this shirt. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> you do. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have any, <laughs> you don't have a job to go back to now. You need this shit. <laughs> oh, you yeah. boxed painted, me in. Painted yourself into a corner, my yeah. friend. Well, I had your help. It was your brush. But yeah, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> yeah, now the Russian spies working on the project have kept Berea informed. Berea had passed everything he knew onto Stalin. By the time of Potsdam, Berea and Stalin had already discussed <coughs> how Stalin should respond if Truman mentioned the bomb. And they yeah. obviously decided to pretend they, they were ignorant about it in order to protect the fact that they had spies infiltrating the operation. You don't need to go, hey, right. uh, Joe, we got a bomb. Hey. Oh, I know, I know. It's a very good bomb. Yes, I know all about it. <laughs> what? No, no. Let's, ro- let's role play. Let's role play. Yeah. I bet they role play. Oh, they, they did. They dressed up and everything. <laughs> I'll be Beria, you be Stalin, okay? Okay, okay. 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 All right. So, so uh, hold on. Uh, who are you? Uh, who, who are you playing as Barry? Barry is doing Truman. Would make wouldn't make yeah, sense okay, if Stalin's being Truman this, and Barry is being Stalin. Just that's no. confusing. Oh shit! Now I'm confused. Right, I was so just this is do the role playing. This is Ray being okay. Barry being <laughs> Truman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Mr. President. Uh, I have something to tell you. We have this magnificent, beautiful bomb, more powerful than anything you've ever heard of before. And I just wanted to tell you about it. It could change war as we know it. Uh, my first question is, why are you sounding like a Donald Trump? My second question <laughs> is, why do you refer to me as Mr. President? This is not my title. Oh, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I got too much into my role. I, I would say, of course, I know all about your bomb. I, my spies, oh, shit, I wasn't supposed to tell no, you that. No, no shit. No, Mother, yet, 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 motherfucker. Yet, comrade. Motherfucker. <laughs> Let me go back. Try, try it again. Try it again. <laughs> tell me about Look, the bomb. We, we, we got the big bomb go boom really loud. You see it from far, far away. I didn't want you to find out in the newspapers. Oh, oh, bomb, really, bomb, oh, well, that's... Uh, you thought I said basket. That's uh, very nice for you. Congratulations. My, my, very good. I hope you use it in good health. Okay, bye now. How's that? Is that... Uh, that is better. Yeah. I think that's... Yeah. I think this yeah. is believable. I think it's they... It's good. Be- Let's go with that one, comrade. I think they believe yeah. me. So, thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. And scene. Yeah. Uh, I think they... Yeah, so... Um, but, okay, so we, I think we've touched on this before. So imagine this. So you've been at Stalin. Sorry. You've been, you're Stalin. You've been at Potsdam for a day, right? You meet with Truman. They met with, they met, uh, they had lunch at Truman's house in mm-hmm. Babelsberg on July 17th, right? Right. The day before, well, the test had already happened. Truman didn't know about it, but the test had already happened. Um, Stalin probably knew the test had happened. Truman didn't know, but they... <laughs> So they have, this is their first meeting with Truman. Um, and he doesn't bring it up. They're like, well, he's going to bring up the bomb over lunch, surely. Yeah. How could you not? Yeah. He's just, you know, they've detonated the, 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 the most yeah. advanced piece of weaponry ever in human history. Doesn't bring it up. They're like, what? He, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't bring it up. Why are you not mentioning the bomb? <laughs> well, they were, 
probably having cucumber sandwiches. That's not exactly apropos uh, for atomic bombs. Now, meat, yeah, I, but it was cucumber sandwiches. I'm sure, I'm sure he'll bring it up over dinner tonight. I'm sure he'll bring it up over dinner. <laughs> dinner comes, dinner goes. He didn't mention the bomb. What? This is, what is, what about dessert? Well, Nightcap. The next day they find out through their spies, uh, obviously, that right. he gets the telegram. Oh, I see. He did not know. That's so funny. We, we, we Russians knew about bomb five days ago. We knew five minutes after it went off. We got a, got a fucking text message. Like immediately. I had, I had an animated GIF of it. Like five minutes later. Like he did what not. What American Jews? Carry a pigeon? Fucking American technology, man. I don't know how they survive. Really, it's ridiculous. But anyway, so... All right, so he found out about it today. Okay, very good. Now he'll have to tell me about it tonight over dinner. Dinner comes and he goes, yeah. he didn't tell me about the bomb. What? <laughs> what? Dear, dear diary, <laughs> he didn't say anything again. Sad face, broken heart picture. <laughs> <laughs> From the 18th to the 23rd. Sad face. Every day. He's like, okay, maybe today is day he's going to tell me about he's the bomb. Building up. <laughs> he's, he's building up like a bomb himself. <laughs> He doesn't tell him. Now, on one hand, so this is the thing. You have to, like, just grasp the enormity of the fact here that during these days, Truman is asking Stalin to be his partner in invading Japan. Yeah. That's very intimate. (laughs) Very intimate. But at the same time, he's not telling him about the bomb. Yeah. So... So what's Stalin, what's Stalin supposed to take from that? I, I don't know, man. Stalin's like... Yeah, imagine you're Stalin for a second. This guy's asking you for... Yeah, looking uh, deep into your eyes. Asking you for a favour. Look, will you yeah. do me a solid? I know this isn't a, a your war. Solid. I know you've got a neutrality paper, but will you do me a big solid? He's asking you for this, to, to, to do this thing, and he's got this big secret he's not telling you. If you're Stalin, you're going to go, you're a fucking piece of shit. Seriously, Truman, you are a piece yeah. of shit. You're asking me well, for this, Stalin, but you're not telling yeah. me your big secret. Like, And not to mention the fact you didn't tell me months ago. Like, And, no, and your predecessor didn't tell me that you were working. Like, fuck you guys. <laughs> And the horse you rode in on, seriously? Yeah, on the on the charging steed, you American drive. Yeah, so uh, Stalin's going to say yes, anyways, to Japan for the reasons we've stated last time. He wants in, he wants certain territory. But yeah, how could he possibly trust Truman when he doesn't tell him? I mean, it, it, the news doesn't get any bigger than that. So again, he, he's got to be taking everything with a grain of salt that Truman says. Now, finally, on July twenty fourth. Uh, six days after Truman got the first telegram. He finally approaches Stalin as Stalin's walking out of a conference room at the end of a long day, big session. It happened to be on Poland, very tense session. Uh, He goes, oh, uh, Joe, Uncle Joe, just uh, uh, before you leave, before you leave. Hold back, hold back. Stalin goes, here it comes, here it comes. Truman says the USA has tested a new bomb of extraordinary destructive power. Note that he doesn't use, deliberately doesn't use the word atomic or nuclear. Um, He and Churchill had agreed on this. They weren't going to use the word atomic. Stalin's interpreter looks at Stalin. Um, he, He obviously knew that they knew. And so he's waiting to see 
what Stalin, how he reacts. This is the moment. He later wrote, the interpreter of this is, no muscle moved in his face. Stalin then calmly responded, a new bomb of extraordinary power, probably decisive on the Japanese. What a bit of luck. Turned around <laughs> and walked away. Oh, there was one thing before that. Oh, the interpreter watched Stalin glance at Churchill just long enough to see that Churchill was smiling. Then he turned and walked away. So, again, he knows everything they know, but he's so good at it, he doesn't let on that he knows. And these dumbasses don't figure it out. Truman later said, I am sure he didn't understand the significance. Churchill <laughs> also wrote with almost the same language, I wish... I was sure he had no idea of the significance of what he was being told. So yeah. these guys, like Stalin, man, the fucking master. Admiral... And the award goes to... Admiral Leahy. <laughs> Leahy. Yeah. Yeah, also, also, also watching Stalin right. wrote that he thought he did not seem to have any conception of what Truman was talking about. It was simply another weapon. Now, that very night, Stalin gets on the bad phone <laughs> and he calls up his atomic energy department and he tells him to speed the fuck up. The Americans have got this. And also the Red Army is to increase its uh, efforts to get to the Manchurian border. I want you guys ready to jump when I give the word because we're not the window for grabbing territory is not going to be nearly as big as I thought it was going to be. So, again, he's calm with these guys, gets behind the scenes, pushes everybody to work faster and harder because he's got to get why the getting's good. Stalin told his guys that the timing of Truman's announcement, again, after a fairly tense session on Poland and a full six days after Truman got the original note, showed a rather unfriendly attitude towards us and towards our security interests. What, and it does. It does. Uh, one of his advisors even suggested that it was atomic blackmail to get, Ooh, to, get one. to get the Russians to change their position on Poland, Molotov caught, said, they're raising their price. Um, and uh, Joseph Davies, who was obviously the sort of the pro-Soviet, maybe, uh, uh, ex-ambassador, former ambassador to the Soviet Union, American ambassador, uh, had predicted that this would be the Russian reaction. He said they would naturally see it as deliberately throwing them out on the junk heap after they yeah. had been used to defeat Hitler. So, and, uh, I mean, they, they had to defeat Hitler for their own reasons because Hitler was going to kill them all. Yeah, but, but still. Uh, they had taken the brunt, as we know, of defeating Hitler. As soon as that's over... The Americans say, please help us invade Japan. Stalin says, okay. Then the Americans go, oh, fuck it. Don't worry about it. We don't need it anymore. Matter of fact, we don't need you anymore. Fuck you. We've got a bomb. Yeah, we got the bomb. Now, here's the thing that gets me the most uh, as far as understanding Stalin. When Potsdam starts, Stalin has the largest army in the world, and he has no intention of dismantling it anytime soon. It's not a democracy. He doesn't have to care what the soldiers think, what their families think back home. They're going to be under arms, under um, un uniform, and wherever they are 
as long as he wants. So he's got all these advantages. He's got Western Europe, uh, Eastern Europe. He's got Poland or whatever, and he's got he's got this massive army now, and, he, and he's got a lot of generals and a lot of officers, but a ton of experience now. When it comes to conventional war, nobody should fuck with uh, the Russians, even the United States. And all of a sudden, all of that security through all the pain, the blood, the loss, everything now is practically meaningless because the Americans can now drop a bomb, one bomb that will utterly destroy Moscow or Leningrad or Kiev or anything like that. Everything that they have worked and sacrificed and fought back to, to climbed back to where they are now is suddenly meaningless. How can Stalin possibly feel safe with the type of person he is, the life he has led, and all the struggles that he's had ever since he's been like 16 years old. How can he possibly feel safe as the leader of Soviet Russia? Indeed. And this is, for my money, the beginning of the Cold War. Here we are, end of episode 69, and our show is finally starting. <laughs> <laughs> 70 hours, 69 hours into it. Yeah, when they have this thing and they're like, we got it and we're not giving it to you and we're not even telling you about it and, in fact, we might use it against you. Because um, you've got to guess that when Churchill and Truman are having that private meeting where Churchill's saying, you know, let's use it on the Soviets, you know yeah. you know, Stalin had that room bugged, right? Oh, hell yeah. You know oh, yeah, he had yeah. it bugged. So he's like, right, well, I can see... <laughs> I can see how much I mean. How, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to you, you bastards. <laughs> so that's where we'll end episode yeah. 69. Uh, again, no reviews to read out this week. Uh, thanks a lot for nothing, you ungrateful. <laughs> You're like the British people, and I'm like Churchill in the election. Um, Bitch, let me, why don't you? And we'll be back next week with more on Japan and the bomb and uh, Potsdam and uh, all that good shit. You want to hug it out? No, not really. Let's hug it out, bitch. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere.